Hey, welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Check us out on the web at missiodeschicago.com. Uh, as Bam said, we are starting a new series uh, on the Holy Spirit called Open to the Promise. Uh, and um, I think if Jesus and Paul and Peter were to like transport to our given time in this room right now, and, and if, you asked, if we had them here and we're like, hey, let's interview Jesus, um, and we said, hey, Jesus, is there anything weird about like Christianity now that you're, you know, we just invited you here? Um, I, I think he would say um, what strikes him as most odd is that there's all these different Christian movements um, that are skeptical of each other or at odds with each other or don't even speak to one another. Um, I think Jesus would find that really weird, don't you? Like if, like if Jesus was here, and he, it, I think he would find it weird that Christianity can sometimes feel uh, splintered or divided. And, um, and that I think what, what, what he desires is that we would have one heart, one mouth, one, one body to glorify the one God. And um, I, I think it's interesting that, uh, that this unity that we experience in this world is why I think the world doesn't take us very seriously as Christians. That the disunity we, we often experience is the reason why the world doesn't take us too seri- seriously. And one of the, those areas that the church is most often divided around is the Holy Spirit. Uh, it, it is one of those areas that the church gets divided about. Um, and so I want to say this morning up front as we dive into this, uh, that I want us to not fall into the traps of what many do with the Holy Spirit. Uh, one of those traps is just that uh, many churches, uh, the church I grew up in would be this way, I would just say they have forgotten the Holy Spirit. Not that they don't believe in the act that there's, a, uh, if, you're, if you're new to Christianity, we believe there's a Father, Son, Holy Spirit, there's the mystery of the Trinity, you probably heard that before. Um, I would say they don't deny that. Um, they believe that the Holy Spirit is there, but for them, the Trinity is the Father, Son, and Holy Bible um, kind of church. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like, like the, the Bible is the third member of the Trinity, right? Um, and, and so there's this sense where it's like you don't talk about the Holy Spirit. You don't invite the Holy Spirit. Um, there's those churches. There's churches that I would say are, are fearful of the Holy Spirit. Um, maybe this is a mainline high church kind of environment. Um, too fearful to just be weird in our culture. And then I would say there's churches that are forceful with the Holy Spirit. Um, some of you may have experienced these churches uh, where, where they uh, may uh, take some kind of view that, that um, you must, the Holy Spirit's got to look a certain kind of way, uh, fit a certain kind of personality of expression. Uh, I, I have experienced this where I was, um, I was, uh, one time at, at some point, I tried to force to fall down on the ground. Um, I was forced, I was told to like, I had to speak in tongues at a church one time where I wasn't a Christian. So these are kind of the four, where it can get forceful. Now, uh, all that to say is that all these approaches are, are not what the Holy Spirit does. Uh, the Holy Spirit is an invitation, never an obligation. And the Holy Spirit is a person not a force. We're going to get into this. Um, but what I would say for those who have either come from any of those environments, um, either you come from the forgotten of the Holy Spirit, right? And you're like, ooh, Holy Spirit, or the, the fearful, or even the forceful, where maybe you've been hurt by someone. Um, you've been hurt by not the Holy Spirit, but a personality, and yet you attached it to the Holy Spirit. What I want to say this morning is this, that just because someone abuses the Holy Spirit doesn't mean the Holy Spirit's not real and active. 
Um, we don't do this with anything else in Christianity. Sometimes you hear this excuse like, well, people abuse the Holy Spirit, so we just don't talk about it. Well, we, people abuse the Scripture, and we still teach from the Scripture. People abuse cars, and you still drive cars. So just because someone does it wrong doesn't mean we don't stay open and, and see what does the Scripture say about the Holy Spirit. So what I want to do in this series is, is three things. I want us to talk about what does the Bible say? Um, there's some churches that just don't study what does the Bible say, but not just study. I don't want to just like look at what the Bible says. I want us to be open to experiencing the Holy Spirit. Um, and, and I think in those, some of those contexts, what we've done is we've said, well, I don't know if you, have you ever been in a church context where it's just like experience is kind of labeled as bad? Any of those? Anybody? All right, so it's like experiencing God, oh, experience, can't trust experience. Like, you realize the whole Bible is a bunch of stories of people experiencing God, right? So we're not anti-experience. Like, when you actually read the scriptures, you're actually experiencing God through the scriptures. You actually experience the Holy Spirit. So I want, to, I want us to, this series, I just want to lay out the framework. We want to study, what does the Bible say about the Spirit? And then we want to say, how do we experience the Spirit? And so my question for you this morning is, are you open to more of the Holy Spirit? Are you open for more of the Holy Spirit to come? Um, and uh, as we dive into this, um, I want to give a little bit of a, a, a cultural kind of, if you've heard me teach a lot, I like to just kind of paint the context of the cultural age we live in. Um, and we live in a secular age, and we live in an age of what uh, philosopher Charles Taylor calls as an age of disenchantment. And let me, let me break that down for you in a moment. So previous generations, prior to the, say, the 1550s, 1600s, was everyone lived in an enchanted age, meaning that everyone, all of societies, understood that the world was supernatural, that there was spiritual beings. But post-enlightenment, we've, we've, we've basically uh, changed the way we see rationality, seeing that kind of rationality as wrong, and a new kind of rationality of a laboratory proven a lab kind of rationality is right. And all of that other is wrong. So, for example, if you're an artist, not even within Christianity, you're not a Christian, you're an artist and you create art. Previous to the 1600s, if you created art, you had a daemon. You had a supernatural divine being that inspired your art, which was amazing for you artists. Because if you were amazing, guess what? You couldn't be too narcissistic because it was your divine being that helped you out. And if you failed, you couldn't be crushed because, guess what? Well, my divine, like, daemon just kind of screwed up, didn't really help me out that much. So everybody had these, these this, this, what I'm trying to show you is that there was a spiritual understanding of the world. Like, when we read about Jesus doing miracles, that wasn't weird. Like, people were like, oh my gosh, Jesus did a miracle. They're like, yeah, Jesus did a miracle, so other people do miracles. Like, that was not crazy. Uh, that was normal view that rationality of the spiritual world was normal. So um, then you began to kind of get ritualistic. Uh, people would do things like storms, like Martin Luther. How did he become a Christian? He, there was a storm, and he freaked out, and he said, St. Pantrid of Anne, if you save me, I'll become a monk. And he lived, and he's like, oh, my God, supernatural thing happened. I'm going to become a monk. And, and so they're afraid of storms, and they would, like, ring bells inside a a, a, a chapel or a, or a cathedral and to help the spirits come help them. Now, that was kind of weird. We see that as weird. But what I'm trying to show you is, is, is the po Reformation, what they did is they said, all those things are horrible. They're evil. They're idolatrous. We need to, only, we need to, we need to move towards what we can um, rationally explain. And what it did in good intentions, 
what, what the, the, the Reformation did is it actually, the church, instead of changing the world, let the world change the church and let the post-enlightenment movement change the church. And so we had a faith-inspired disenchantment. Does this make any sense? So like basically the faith-inspired of like, let's disenchant the fact that there's a supernatural spiritual world. Now we live in that. But what if we're the crazy ones? Like, what if we're the crazy ones that just ignore the fact that there's a supernatural world in our, in our framework? I mean, think about, like, when doctors became um, moved out of homes. They used to just take care of doctors and uh, the people in homes, moved it into an institution. Actually, institutionalized medicine, this is not, like, anti-medicine, I'm pro-medicine. Um, uh, God can use a doctor that's an atheist, and God can use healing. Like, oh, amen. <laughs> Set that aside, whole other sermon. Basically, medicine was a place to like treat and study the dead, like institutions. Then they said, hey, let's actually bring people who are hurting into these institutions and make the institutions a place. Then they realized that something's missing. These doctors aren't really giving and caring and understanding us as poor and sick people. So they set up another institution called chaplaincy. Now we need people to come in and actually be, have bedside manners and take care of people's souls because there's something missing. And my point is, is what if we're the crazy ones? that ignore the fact that there's a supernatural world. And all I'm trying to say is that you are a spiritual being. That's my point. Point one, you're a spiritual being. Whether you want to accept and embrace the fact that you are a spiritual being or whether you want to reject that, you need to know that you are a spiritual being this morning. And I think no matter where you are on the faith, whether you are an atheist or a follower of Jesus, I think almost all of us deep down resonate with that we hear things and sense things that we can't see and touch that is a spiritual world. So that's just this onslaught of what I want to show first and foremost. And now I want to just dive into the Holy Spirit. All right, what Scripture says this morning, we're just going to go through a lot of Scripture. You can try to turn there with me, but just I encourage you just to absorb it. Um, and I just want to set in that this, that choosing the material Jesus over the immaterial spirit is not something Jesus would do. Let me repeat that. Choosing Jesus in the flesh, right here and now, over like the spirit that we can't see is not something Jesus would do. So let me, Jesus said this himself. He said, this, unless I go away, the advocate, which is the word, com- we're going to get in this comforter or helper, can't come. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. It is better that I leave you, Jesus said. So Jesus is saying that me being away from you is better than me being here with you and without the Spirit, right? Um, so most of us are like, eh, I don't, I don't know about you, but I've always like wished Jesus was here with me. Um, any of you, like, like, remember back when you were in college and your professor was just like basically beating up on Christianity and you're like, like, here's Jesus, like, Jesus, why don't you talk to him? Right? I, used to, I used to think that it would be so much better if Jesus was with me than the Holy Spirit with me. Um, I remember, like, I, I used to think Jesus would be a great accountability partner. I'd be like, Jesus, I screwed up again. Like, how are you doing? He's like, I'm fine. I'm not doing great. I don't have any issues. It's like, oh, God, that's not a good idea. Jesus, you're not a good accountability partner. Um, I, I think the whole, we often think that, like, why isn't Jesus still here? Why doesn't Jesus, how many of you have ever wondered, if God is real, why don't you just show up and prove it? All right? Well, he did in a certain time and space, and he is now through the Spirit. And so I want to just dive in. What does the Bible say about the Holy Spirit? Um, so let's just dive in. Genesis 1.1, all right? You're like, oh, the beginning. 
We're just going to go through the Old Testament, New Testament as fast as we can here. <laughs> just dive in. And I often start with Genesis 1. So let's just start in Genesis 1. Genesis 1.1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty and dark was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Um, that word hovering is a picture, uh, the same word used of an eagle mother protecting over her young. Uh, and this word spirit in the Old Testament is the word ruach. Everybody say ruach. ruach. All right, you're all Hebrew now. Um, congrats. Ruach is a word that means spirit breath, or wind. Um, so all throughout the Old Testament, you'll see this word ruach interchanged of like breath or wind or spirit. And here it says that in the beginning, when God created, who created the earth, the heavens and the earth? Who was involved? It was the Holy Spirit. That's what it's saying. The Holy Spirit was intimately connected over the waters. We're going to get into that. That's very important um, later on. And um, the Old Testament, what you need to know is like in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was, uh, the, the, the age of the Spirit was an age of visitation. Um, the New Testament is an age of habitation. But previously to that, in the Old Testament, it was an age of the Spirit visiting. So often, uh, the, the Holy Spirit was limited in the Old Testament because um, after this, uh, we have Genesis 2, so God's still creating the world. He creates man and woman, and it says, The Lord God formed the man of dust and from the ground and breathed ruach into his nostrils, the ruach of life, and the man became a living creature. So you could read that as the, whole, the God formed the man, breathed in his nostrils the spirit of life. So here God takes the, the human dust, forms it, breathes the Ruach into him, and he becomes animated and alive. One thing the Holy Spirit does is he brings life. The Holy Spirit brings life to you. He brings the joy to you, brings, completely raises you up. Uh, and, and we're going to be, uh, March 6th, we're going to have a Ash Wednesday service, and we're going to take ashes, and it's a, it's, a, it's a tradition in which we mark your forehead and say, from dust you came and dust you shall return. It's a verse from Genesis. After, after Adam and Eve rebel, he says that you will now return to dust. What leaves? The breath of God leaves, right? The Ruach leaves. So much so that like when we uh, have fallen as God's creatures, Psalm 135 says this, that, that this words of idolatry, that right? Like when we worship other things, we don't stop worshiping, right? Like when we worship other gods, we're still worshiping. We're just worshiping other gods. It says, the idols of the nations are silver and gold, the work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. They have eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. But when we worship other idols as, nation, as a nation or as people, nor is there any, what? Breath, right? You guys alive today? You got the Holy Spirit in you today? <laughs> Breath in their mouths. There's no ruach in their mouths. And so this was an age of, of visitation, that the Holy Spirit would come on particular people at particular times, at particular places for a particular purpose. So the Holy, it, there's verses that would say the Spirit filled Joseph. The Spirit filled Samson and gave him strength. The Spirit filled David to empower him to reign as king. Um, so much so that you see David pray in Psalm 51, like, Holy Spirit... Do not cast me from your presence. 
don't take the Holy Spirit from me. David realized like there was a particular time and a space that he was the anointed one. The word anointed just means that the Spirit is on you. And the, the, what the Hebrews were looking for were a, a person, this Spirit-anointed person that was going to one day come and bring God's renewal to the earth. He was going to bring God's rest to the earth. He was going to bring God's shalom and deliverance and freedom and healing and life and salvation to the earth. So they were looking for this one, anointed one, who would come. And this anointed one that would come, Isaiah uh, says this, Isaiah 42. Uh, so this new age of the Spirit would be ushered in by the Spirit-anointed one. And in Isaiah, there's all these prophecies in the Old Testament that predict what might happen and have heard from God. They've listened to God and they wrote down what they've heard. And he says, here is my servant. The one with the Spirit is going to be a servant, not come in power, but come in weakness to serve. And whom I uphold, my chosen one, and whom I delight, I will put my Spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. And so they were looking for this person. And then Joel, so, so it says that this, there's, there's going to be this individual that ushers in the Spirit, but then when that person comes, he's going to give the Spirit to everybody. And then Joel, too, says this. I love this. That, that it's easy to believe, like, as I just mentioned, that sometimes the, I don't know about you, but I think most of us, what we think about the Spirit is we think there's a selected few people who get the Spirit and some that don't. I think most of us think that there's a certain group of people that, and I think that the problem here comes with just our notion of who the Holy Spirit is. Um, most of you, mo- there was a survey done of evangelicals of like, is the Holy Spirit a person? Um, basically, like, the Holy Spirit is not a person, it's a force. 51% of evangelicals said true, that the Holy Spirit is a force, not a person. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Holy Spirit is a person, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in which you have a relationship with not a force or a power to yield. And so the Holy Spirit is a person that you can have a relationship with and move in and out of. That's why Paul says, keep in step with the Spirit. He says, you can grieve the Holy Spirit because he's a person with emotion. The God that wants to know you personally has come in the form of a person, Jesus, who sent another person, the Spirit, to you. And so the problem, I think, comes is when we think of him as a force, and then when he's a force, he's now a power to wield. And it's like, we start getting like, it's very uh, Star Wars-ish if you think about it. It's like, oh yes, the spirit, the force is strong with that one. That one seems very in tune with the force over there. And that one's got Jedi spirit powers. They can heal, they can speak prophecy, they can do all these things. They're super, and so that's for those people. But the deal is, is the New Testament says none of that. Do you know what the, New, the Old Testament says, that anointed it's just the Spirit. Every single one of you is anointed. Have you ever heard someone say, like, well, they're anointed? It's usually like the preacher or the worship leader. No, the Bible teaches that every single one of you with the Spirit of God is anointed. No distinction. And this is what the prophets said, Joel 2. They said this, and it shall come to pass that I will pour out my Spirit on all flesh. On all flesh I will pour out my Spirit. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Now, previously, Holy Spirit, particular person, particular time, particular purpose. Now, this prophet comes, Joel, and says, guess what? This anointed one is going to come, and now the Spirit's going to fall on all. And listen, you got to remember, this is a patriarchal society. And for them to say that the Holy Spirit's going to come, and sons and daughters are going to prophesy? That women are going to speak God's word. For, for this society, amen, come on. 
I mean, the very the resurrection, who are the first people to find Jesus? It's women. And then they come and out and they run and tell the other disciples this. Behold, he is risen. The very first sermon about Jesus. Can women preach? Yes, they can. And so we see that, the, the, that this is breaking down gender distinctions, that the Holy Spirit comes on all. This is gender-inclusive language. And so what Joel is saying is the Holy Spirit's going to come and tear down walls. That wherever there's walls, the Spirit will break them down. Whenever you hear about walls on the news, know that the Spirit tears down walls. <laughs> I digress a little bit, but... This was scandalous to say. Then, that's not all. Who else is a candidate for the Spirit? Young men and old shall dream dreams. Your, young men, your old men shall dream. I just love that. That we are a very young church. This is probably one of my biggest like, like difficulties as a pastor of this church. It's like most of you have met with me and said, I just don't have like a grandma to invest in me that's like spiritually wise. Like I just need that. I'm like, yeah, sorry, but we don't, we don't have that. Like, I, I just go and find those people outside of here. Like, you just got to get... The, but I love this. I love this, that you, could, you are never too old to be used by God. That no matter how old you are, you can be used by God. That I just love, too, that it's dreams. Like, you think of someone getting old and their dreams are crushed. I know the Holy Spirit actually is going to give you new dreams for his kingdom. Usher in a new presence, a new time, that you can be of any age for God to use you, and you can, <laughs> there's no age that is too young for God to use you. The Spirit, Spirit can use anyone at any age. The Spirit isn't just for the young. The Spirit is poured out for everybody. And I love this, that, that it's for, you're going to see visions. You're going to have new imaginations. You're going to have, like, our thought life is going to be saturated with God. And it just doesn't stop there. It just keeps getting better, guys. Then it says this, even the male and female servants in those days I'll pour out my spirit. That's, that language is breaking down all socioeconomic realities. Like those who do not have power, those regulated to be slaves, those who have no connections, education, no network, the spirit will fall on you and you will have power. That is good news. That those who are have been oppressed. God doesn't wait until you have a certain education for God to use you. God doesn't wait for you to be free for God to use you. God doesn't wait for you to move to the north side for God to use you. God uses you where you are. God has blessed you. He is a God of the upside-down kingdom. And those who are low shall be first, and those who are on top shall be last. This passage is filled with so much grace, so much generosity, unconditional pouring out of the Spirit. And the only thing that can separate us from, I love this, Marjorie Thompson says this, the only thing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ is our own unwillingness to receive the gift. Our own unwillingness to receive the gift. Um, I, I think of this as like we, he says I'm going to pour out the Spirit. Um, have you guys like seen anybody recently like with the snow? Like, have you seen the umbrella snow people? Is anybody, am I the only one that's seen the umbrella snow people? Like they're carrying around umbrellas in the snow. I'm sorry if you're an umbrella snow person, but I'm going to make fun of you and please forgive me. But I don't understand carrying an umbrella in the snow. Like I, I guess it's like it's maybe, maybe it's going to rain, maybe it's not, but here's this. Um, 
But I think I, I kind of see this picture of all of us carrying around these umbrellas. Um, umbrella, Ella, Ella. So, sorry, it's good. Um, and, and like it, we're trying to protect ourselves from like the, the if, if all throughout scripture, the spirit's metaphor is like water, right? It's breath. Um, God's going to pour down, right? Um, that the Holy Spirit is this rain that we're just trying to like, whether we've been hurt by the Spirit from someone else, actually, or whatever, but we're trying to, like, keep these umbrellas up. And, like, I don't know about you. Have you ever been, like, walking downtown and you don't have your umbrella and there's automatically, like, out of nowhere, like, someone pops up and it's like, here's a $5 umbrella. You're like, where did you come from? You're like, sure, okay. And you take that umbrella and it's, like, so cheap and it's, like, breaking off in the wind and you're, like, carrying it. And, and it's like, you might as well just drop the umbrella and get drenched, Right? Um, it's so much freer sometimes. And I think that's what the Spirit wants to do for many of you. I think we've been like so fearful that we have this umbrella up trying to protect us because if the Spirit falls on us, then like we no longer are in control. Like we don't want to, we, or we're fearful that the Spirit's going to make us somebody we're not. That's not what the Holy Spirit does. We're fearful that we like have to lose or throw our brain out the door for the Spirit to fall. No, the, I believe the Holy Spirit actually makes you way smarter. The Holy Spirit makes you way smarter. And for the, I've also heard people say, well, I've also heard people use the Holy Spirit as an excuse for like not planning. You're like, I'm just going to go by the Spirit. I'm like, you know the Holy Spirit wrote a lot of stuff down in the Bible, right? Like he planned. Like he organized really well. Like the Holy Spirit is not going to change your personality. The Holy Spirit's going to meet you according to your personality. And so I think like if we would just take out of the view of like what it looks like for the Holy Spirit to fall on us, and we would just throw down the umbrella and say, Holy Spirit, come. Like, fall down on me. I want to be changed. I want new life. I want freedom from oppression. I want so much like healing in my life. I want joy in my life. I want the light of God to come according to like how I experience you, God, and we can be free from those expectations that it looks a certain way, like God wants to take the umbrellas out of our hands, Miss O'Day. He wants to take them completely out. And then, um, not only this, sorry, Ezekiel 36, he keeps going. Another prophet comes on, he says, this is what's going to happen. Remember the word breath, ruach. The hand of the Lord was upon me. Ezekiel was this crazy dude, saw a lot of crazy visions. And he says, the he brought me out of the, uh, in the spirit of the Lord, set me down in the middle of this valley, and it was full of bones. So he saw this vision of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. So he's like, there's these visions of bones that were dry. And then, this is what happens. He said to me, son of man, can these bones live? And he said, oh Lord, you only know. And he said, prophesy over these bones and say to them, oh dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. And then, the, and then this is what happens. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, Behold, I will cause what? The ruach, the breath to enter you, and you shall live. I will lay sinews upon you, and it will cause flesh to come upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. I love this. That, that what, what is happening is, he's saying that, like, that the God's people were dry, they were just, just like you guys this morning, like, they were tired. <laughs> they were tired, they were dry. It was winter, always winter, never Christmas, right? It, it, was, it, was, it was very, very, yes, you'll get, yeah, Chronicles of Narnia quote. I'll come back to that in a minute. And he's like, but 
God's going to pour out your, his spirit. And the thing I want you to see here is that Holy Spirit, what he always does is he brings life. The Holy Spirit brings life. Um, that's what the spirit does. Um, we're going to get into that in a minute. I'm getting ahead of myself. But, uh, man, I have so much more I want to cover, but I'm just going to fast forward, okay? Um, Old Testament, New Testament. There's like this one page, Malachi and Matthew. That one page represents 400 years of silence. No speaking, no spirit. Where is God? Where's the, 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 the anointed one with the spirit? And then all of a sudden, um, this woman hears from God and says, I'm, I'm giving you a baby. His name is John, and I'm going to put the spirit on him. Isn't that so rad? A Holy Spirit in utero, just right there. And he's like, and this guy's going to come, and he's going to like point to the Messiah, the one you've been waiting on for 400 years. And she's like, what? Then Mary, we in the evangelical church, we totally do not give Mary the, this woman was so amazing. We do not honor the, the uh, power and amazing anointing of Mary. Mary then says this in Luke, Luke, this angel comes to Mary and says this in Luke 1. The Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. That word overshadow is the same, when they translated the, the Old Testament into the Greek, the word overshadow is the same word of that spirit hovering over the waters. Remember the eagle, the beginning, Genesis 1, just hovering is the same thing. That spirit, the breath is going to come over you and rest on you. And the Holy One will be born, will be called the Son of God. Jesus is born right here. He's baptized in the, in the River Jordan. Remember the spirit hovering over the waters? Now what happens? It says that the sky is opened right here in Luke 3. And that the Holy Spirit came down as a dove and fell on Jesus and descended on him. And a voice said, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Amazing picture. The Jews here would have been freaking out because they knew that the Holy Spirit was this breath and ruach that rested on the waters. And now the ruach is resting on Jesus in the baptism waters. Not only so, that the word dove was so representation of the Holy Spirit um, when the flood came uh, of Noah. It was a dove that represented new life. You remember that? Um, for some of you, remember that? Uh, also, in the Aramaic translation of the Old Testament, they insert the words in that Genesis 1 passage of that the Holy Spirit was hovering. They insert the words like a dove. So the actual Bible Jesus, uh, Jesus would have read in Aramaic would have read Genesis 1-2, that the Spirit of God was hovering like a dove over creation. And now here they said that the dove came on Jesus. The Jewish minds would have been freaking out. Then Jesus goes, he lives, he says, I'm going to bring you the Spirit, and then he dies, dies by the Spirit, it says that the Spirit rose him from the dead in Hebrews, and then he grabs his disciples in the upper room and says, he grabs them and says this in John 20, go to John 20, it says that he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. Do you see this? That now he's saying, the breath of God is back, I have brought the Spirit that has resurrected me, and I'm giving you that same Spirit. The same spirit that rose me from the dead is now living in you. And then we're going we're gonna to stop there. We're going to go through the rest next week. So if, next week, come back, more of the Holy Spirit. And I love this. This picture, when I see this picture, I think of like Chronicles of Narnia. That's why I'm coming back to this. Um, again, the white witch that reigned over Narnia, where it was always winter and never, never summer. Aslan, the Lion King, is a picture of Jesus. And there's this beautiful scene where Mr. Thomas is frozen 
and the lion walks up to the frozen Mr. Thomas and just breathes on him. And the stone and the hardness of Mr. Thomas just melts away and he comes to life. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do for you this morning. He has come to bring you life. So what does the Holy Spirit do? Um, Three things. I'm going to go by these fast. First thing he does is he reveals Jesus to us. Every single one of you that is a follower of Jesus, you have heard the Holy Spirit speak to you at least once before in your life. Some of you are like, I've never heard God speak. You've at least heard him once because when you understood and believed that Jesus Christ was God, that was the power of the Holy Spirit. It was the power of the Holy Spirit. So if you're like, I don't know, like you've at least heard him once and he wants to speak again. He doesn't just want to speak to you one time. Like, Nowhere in the New Testament is there a footnote that's like, this Holy Spirit thing will stop after 300 AD. Done. Never is there a footnote of that. The Holy Spirit wants to continue to speak. I remember when I came to know Jesus, I was at a, one of those forgotten spirit churches, and we were at this prayer meeting, and my mom was just weeping over the fact that my dad didn't know God, and then I just heard this, something say, um, Brian, the way she's weeping over you is the way I, as God, weep over you because I am broken that you don't know me. And that's when I received Jesus. That's when I heard the Spirit. The Spirit reveals Jesus. Any, what does the Spirit do? His work is always revealing Jesus, making much of Jesus. Second, the Holy Spirit makes known the love of the Father. If you want to know what the Spirit sounds like and feels like, He's always making known the love of the Father. He's never a voice of condemnation. He's never a voice of shame. So if you have any sense of guilt or shame wrapped up around the topic of the Holy Spirit, that is not of the Spirit. That is not the Spirit. He makes the love of the Father known. And then lastly, he, uh, he brings life. We don't hype the Spirit up, by the way. You can't hype the Spirit up. The Holy Spirit comes down. Like, we wait and receive the Holy Spirit. It's not something you hype up. The Spirit comes down. We don't. So what this means for our lives is that we we are a people that position ourselves to just wait and receive the Spirit, that He would bring life to us, and that we would be carried by the Spirit. So what does it mean to be carried by the Spirit? Um, a few things. Someone close. Um, one newness is possible at any moment, and we position ourselves to be open. Um, I love what G.K. Chesterton said. He said, how can he, God, give us an answer? How can the Holy Spirit give us an answer when we are supplied with the answers of our, self, of our own? Like, how can the Holy Spirit give an answer to you when you've already figured out the answer? You can't. We wait on the Spirit. Um, and then secondly, the Holy Spirit comes when we are weak, not strong. I love what Paul says. He says this in 1 Corinthians 2. He says, um, he said, my speech, verse 4, and my message were not in plausible words with wisdom, but in demonstration of the power and spirit. Verse 3, back above, I came with you with weakness and fear and trembling, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So I don't know about you, have you ever like had a moment where you feel like the Spirit was telling you to do something, and you're like, oh, I wish like one of my pastors was here to do this right now, because I don't know what I'm doing? Or have you, some of you, again, think that the Spirit is like the the Clark Kent Superman, like I, I, I need to go like get powered up in the spirit, get my Superman outfit, and then I'll come back out. Like, no, 
like that moment of weakness you feel in the moment to minister in the spirit, like if you're praying for healing over someone or speaking God's words over someone, that moment of weakness you feel, God's like, that's the actual, that's perfect. That's what I want to use. I don't need your pastor. I don't need your, anybody else. I don't need you to get super forced up in the Holy Spirit. You are in the moment perfectly able to be used by God. The moment of weakness is when God wants to pour his spirit through you. He works when we are vulnerable. It doesn't disqualify you. And if you are strong, the Holy Spirit will not work. If you are, it doesn't, it, you, have, you have God's love. Every one of you have God's love that are, believes in Jesus. And I believe you want to be alive rather than dead. And that's what the spirit wants you to be. And then the, the thing he wants to do is just for you to become weak, become vulnerable. And then lastly, I'm close. You guys hanging with me? You guys got three more minutes? Okay. I can tell you guys are getting a little bit more alive today. It's great. The Holy Spirit wants to do the impossible rather than the attainable. He wants to do the impossible rather than the attainable. Amen. Like, churches are horrible about obsessively working and strategizing and doing whatever they can in their might and yet saying they believe in a Holy Spirit. Um, what if recognizing the Spirit is out in front of us doing the work is a huge answer to the fatigue we talked about last week. Like recognizing that the Holy Spirit is out and working and moving and hovering over your life and bringing life to you is a huge answer to the fatigue that we talked about. Um, I just want to share one story, an incredible story, of how the Holy Spirit does the attainable, um, the impossible rather than just the attainable. Um, 1908, the uh, Salvation Army in Japan. Salvation Army, we know of now as thrift stores. It was actually a church. It still is a church, actually. Um, and in 1908, uh, there was this church in Tokyo of about 100 people. And they were praying, asking God, what do we do? Um, what, they were staying up all night praying and asking God, what do you want us to do in Japan? And s- someone in the congregation sensed that, like, the, at that time, uh, prostitution, and still is, in Japan is a big deal, big issue, big problem. Um, and someone said, I think God wants us to, uh, to, like, take down the sex industry in Japan. The pastor was like, okay, um, well, you know, we might want to start a little smaller than that. There's over 20,000 prostitutes in the city. And the pastor went away and prayed, and he felt like the Spirit was saying, that's exactly what we're supposed to do. And so they gathered again and prayed, and, um, and like, they came up with this plan. They basically came up with this plan the next Saturday and called it Brothel Invasion Day. They called it Brothel Invasion Day, and they printed a million pamphlets and distributed it. They called the media. They prayed all day, prayed all night. And they decided in that prayer meeting, one, somebody, I don't know who it was, was like, we need to go into the brothel with a bass drum. They're like, okay. So they get a bass drum, and they, bu- they're like, they, they call the media, tell them they're going to do this. They bust into this brothel, and they announce, any girl who wants to come out of this brothel, come free. And there's like seven of them that say yes. And they, I can't imagine it, but the way that like the article reads is like that these like they just shuffled around these seven women, like gathered a circle and just kind of shuffled their feet over to the door. And the brothel men explode. It's like, what are you doing? You can't take these women. What are you? You can't do this. And they beat 
uh, these Christians alive. Um, they still live, but they're in the hospital. Um, they, they're, they're, they have threats on their life, and they save those seven girls. Then the media automatically shows up right then, and the media finds this. And then uh, they decide, it makes the front page of the new Tokyo, I don't know, Tokyo newspaper. I don't know what it is, the main Tokyo newspaper. And they have to print triple the amount of copies because this paper just gets taken so fast. And then uh, for three months, they do this every week. And they end up saving uh, 57 girls, 57 girls. But then the authorities are feeling all this pressure because they're losing face. And they realize they need to do something about this. And so what they do is they send out an empirical edict that says that any woman that is in a brothel that wants to be free can go. And at the next day, 12,000 women walk out of brothels in Japan. (laughs) Crazy. Crazy. Why? Because 100 men and women prayed and heard the Spirit take a bass drum and walk into a brothel. It's just foolish. Foolish. The impossible that God can do when we listen to the Spirit. And God wants us, the thing God wants to do in your life is, is, is bigger than anything you can ask, dream, or imagine. It's bigger than anything you can ask, dream, or imagine. His dreams are much bigger than our dreams. Amen? And he wants to use you to bring life to this city. But we've got to be open to the Spirit. Amen? Amen. Let's pray.